Well, uh, if you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. And we're just going to continue where I left off a couple weeks ago. I mean, there's sometimes there are passages. I mean, I've been in church most of my life. All my life, actually. I think I was... I went from the hospital to church, all right? <laughs> but uh, we've... We, I've been in a number of Christmas plays. Some of you uh, have been around long enough to know the great shepherds that were up here when I was in high school. We did a rock band uh, Christmas play. It was, it was outstanding. I mean, you guys missed out. But uh, sometimes you just get so uh, familiar, if you will, with the passages around Christmas that we, don't, we lose the impact, the power the, uh, the awe that is in these scriptures. And I've just been struck this season with Isaiah 9, 6 and, and the names of the Lord. How many know he's the name above all names? He's the name above all, his, all names. The, in his name, there is power. Come on. There is power in the name of Jesus. And so, I, I don't know, this morning, I just want to stir up some faith in you. Um, and I, I pray that uh, each and every one of us will get a greater revelation of the might and power of our God. I just, as we, were in, as we were in worship, I heard out of Jeremiah 32 when the prophet cried, he says, oh my Lord, is there, there's nothing too difficult for you. Sometimes when you've been in the midst of it and you've been going through it, sometimes you forget that, but there's nothing too difficult for you. But we go through the names that he is called in Isaiah 9, 6. He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of uh, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Declaring who the Messiah would be, the, the, the power, the, the, the function he would have, the, 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 the greatness of the Messiah. And in this passage this morning, I want to talk about his name shall be called Mighty God. See, we need a fresh revelation of his awesomeness, of the awesomeness of Jesus that is found in the declaration that he is mighty God. And I'm going to just re re recap a little bit as we were two weeks ago talking about wonderful counselor. We learned that in the passage leading up to this, it speaks to the people in the northern tribes of Israel who, who were first to be impacted by the Assyrian invasion. The, uh, the prophet uh, uh, Isaiah, 700 years before Christ, is now prophesying that there's going to be an invasion coming. And there's, there's woe and there's, there's this um, sense, sense of... Um, Terror, right, coming in out of chapter 8. But as he comes into chapter 9, he says, those people who have dwelt in darkness, who have been impacted by this, will see a great light in the Messiah. I'm telling you, it looks dark now, but there's a time coming, and Jesus' ministry is going to impact you first and foremost. And so it is with us. Can we not relate to those people who have been in a place of darkness? When you look at our circumstances and situations in the world, it's a place of darkness. But God is coming with his light and his glory and his might and his power to manifest in the midst of it all something great. And I spoke on wonderful counselor recognizing our need for his counsel how many know that this morning come on we're helpless and that word counsel speaks to his ability to govern us his ability to govern us but he not only has the ability to govern our lives he has the power to execute on the, his counsel 
See, that's, that's where it is. He's not only wise, but he's powerful to execute. Our need to seek his counsel, and thirdly, how we follow his counsel. In 11, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, it says, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Why don't we just pray that right now? Father, we just pray. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, in this place. Lord, we don't want to just hear a message. We want to hear a word from heaven. Lord, we want to hear a word from heaven. Lord, we thank you that you're already moving in this place. We call upon you, spirit of wisdom and understanding. Open the eyes of our heart, O God, we pray. Let us be filled with the knowledge of your will and spiritual wisdom and understanding, O God. I pray for counsel and strength. There's many here this morning facing situations and circumstances. May you, spirit of counsel, come. And would you speak to our hearts? Would you give words of wisdom and words of knowledge into those situations, O God? I pray for fresh strength and power this morning upon your people, O God. I pray, Lord, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord would come upon us, O God, to walk in a way that pleases you. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said. Oh. We are fascinated with strength and power, aren't we? Grow up when you're a kid, you're a boy, you're like, my dad's stronger than your dad. And I want to say, my God's stronger than your God. Come on. A story, uh, this is actually before my time. Some of you might remember the Merv Griffin show. I don't. But a number of years ago on that show, a guest appeared that was a bodybuilder. As he entered with his huge muscular frame, the crowd went crazy with applause. He flexed his muscles walking over to take his seat to be interviewed. Murr's first question seemed to catch the bodybuilder off guard. He asked him, what do you use all those muscles for? A bit puzzled, the bodybuilder simply stood up and flexed his muscles again while the crowd again applauded wildly. As he sat down, Merv again asked him, what do you use all those muscles for? Again, with a puzzled and somewhat frustrated appearance, the bodybuilder stood up and flexed his muscles, and once again to a cheering audience. Merv, however, was undaunted and insisted a third time, what do you use those muscles for? The bodybuilder was stumped and had no answer. All he could do is sit there and look bewildered at Merv's constant question. The man had a lot of power, but with no purpose. But you see, yeah, show off. He was flexing, all right? But see, when God flexes his power, come on, he has a redemptive purpose in doing so. His might and his power are used for good. He desires for his power to be operative in our lives. Come on. For good. But as we go through these names, it's so important. I believe this quote from A.W. Tozer to captures it. it says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Because, see, how we think about God determines how we relate to God and how we relate to his word. And you see, if we, if we, don't, if we don't understand him to be mighty God, we're not going to pray some mighty prayers. Come on. 
We're not going to live a power overcoming life because our thoughts towards him depend on how we relate to him. And you see, as we grow in the knowledge of who he is and his power and his might, we begin to pray some more bold, audacious prayers. We begin to walk in more faith and authority and courage and strength. Come on. Because his power is working in us. And we believe it. That's what's the important part. We believe it. Not just that we know it, but we believe it. And this word, this, this, this title, this name, this declaration of mighty God is El Gibor. And, it mean, and, and mighty in the, is a Hebrew word which we translate. It means a strong, listen to this. I mean, you got to get a hold of this. A strong, vigorous champion hero. I don't think you heard me. A strong, vigorous champion hero. A godlike hero, a hero God. That's who the Messiah would be, and that's who he is. Amen? He's champion. And to be clear, in case you're not clear on who the champion is, it's the one who's standing at the end of the fight. Come on. Victorious. And how many know it's a fixed fight? The outcome's already been determined. The devil's a loser. Jesus wins in the end. And when you're on his side, you're on the winning side. I don't know about you, but I like to win. He's the champion. People love a champion. My friend, we, we like this term, the goat, right? And in sports, they will argue about who's the goat. Is it Tom Brady? Is it, is it Joe Montana? Is it in, in basketball? Is LeBron James, Michael Jordan? And people will argue about these dumb things for hours. Goat, in case you don't know, means greatest of all time. Just let me clarify that. And now it's become an adjective. You're goated. Now, see, if you do something great, my kids introduced me to this word. If you do something amazing, you're, oh, that's goaded. Let me just tell you, our God is goaded. He's, he's the greatest of all time. He's the champion. And Jeremiah describes him. He says in Jeremiah 20, 11, but the Lord is with me like a dread champion. I love this term, dread champion, meaning he's so mighty he causes dread in the enemy. He causes the, I don't, he causes dread in the enemy's camp. Do you know when Rahab met Joshua's men, he said, we've heard about your God. And they're in fear and trembling because of what they've heard. They know he's with you. They know he's coming. The enemies in, in Jericho were already trembling before they got there. He's the dread champion. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. Somebody needs to get hold of this this morning. The enemy's been coming against you from the, each side, but the Lord's around you, and he's your dread champion. They will be utterly ashamed because they have failed with an everlasting disgrace that will not be forgotten. Man, I like that. And you see, what was Jeremiah's circumstances? He's been prophesying the word of the Lord in, 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 in Jerusalem concerning the coming judgment. I mean, poor guy. This guy did not have good news. Come on. I mean, the Lord had to tell him, don't, don't, don't look at their faces. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you, the Lord says. But 
he comes with the word of the Lord, and, and what does he get for it? He's obeying the Lord. He's speaking the Lord's word, and, and Pastor, the priest at that time, comes and beats him and throws him into prison, and now he's been taken out, and, and now he's, he's, he's lamenting before the Lord. He's saying, hey, Lord, I, I, I got, I'm the laughing stock. They've mocked me. They, I've been reproached. People are wishing for my death and my destruction. So maybe you came in this morning and thought you had it bad. But let's look, let's look at Jeremiah for just a moment. Maybe it'll make you look, feel better. He's been laying out his complaint to the Lord. And then in the middle of all this, right, in the middle of these tough circumstances, he says, but wait a second, I got somebody with me who is on my side. And you see, because he knows new God as mighty God, he didn't get overwhelmed by the circumstances. Do you see our thoughts about who God is determines how we, how a man, as a man thinks, so is he, Proverbs says. As a man thinks, so is he. So when I understand that he's a mighty God, he's a dread champion, then I know that even in the midst of the worst possible circumstances, isolation, hatred, persecution, whatever I'm going to go through because I know that this is going to happen in my life, Jesus said it, I know that the dread champion's with me. And he's on my side. And when he flexes, the enemies and our foes are scattered and they lose. He brings his enemies to shame. Don't worry, when this fight's all over, it'll be Jesus with his fist raised high as our champion. But mighty also describes a hero. You know, in a hero, we stand in a day and an hour, we need, to, we need some real heroes. Like, I, I watch some of these movies, and I'm not sure who the good guy is anymore. Come on. Right? It's hard to tell who the good guy is. It used to be real clear. But it's getting mixed. But let me tell you, there's no lack of clarity concerning Jesus and where he stands. See, a hero is a person noted for courageous acts of nobility and character, a person who has had special achievements, abilities, or qualities, and is regarded as a role model or ideal. Now, some of you are young enough to relate to this, but I was a fan of G.I. Joe, great American hero. Yes, all right? And I used to have all the figurines right? And sometimes, for whatever weird reason, I'd freeze them and put them in there. You remember that? I'd freeze. <laughs> Somebody's like, no, it's, it's not Han Solo. It's G.I. Joe. Get it right. Um, but I had, he was the great American hero because he was this man who, you know, supposedly accomplished great things for his country. And, you know, then I was, I was also pretty mesmerized with Michael Jordan being a basketball fan because of his incredible gravity-defying feats in a game, right? But, we see, we live in a culture that needs hero redefined. Mighty God. And, see, David became a national hero because he stepped into the fight as a teenager, come on, young people, as a ten teenager against the giant in his time, in his hour. And the reason he could step into that fight, because he knew his mighty God. He knew his mighty God. He, he had seen his mighty God at work against the lion and the bear. And when a nation was daunted by a giant who was standing and, 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 accusing them and, and saying, where's your God, Israel? And they're, they're like, what do we do? In steps a man who knew his mighty God. He became a national hero because he knew the hero, the dread champion, was on his side. 
And see, warrior, Jehovah is strong and mighty, goes forth as a warrior. Look at Isaiah 42. I love this passage. It says, let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. The Lord will go forth like a warrior. See, if you thought Christianity was about passivity, if you don't know that you're a God who takes vengeance on his enemy, that he's a God who takes vengeance on his enemies, if you don't know that, right? He will go forth like a warrior. He will arouse his zeal like a man of war. He will utter a shout. Yes, he will raise a war cry. He will prevail against his enemies. Man, we need to have that confidence in us. We need to have that assurance in our hearts that God is a warrior on our behalf who will go forth and fight for us. Come on. And one of my favorite passages, Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is in your midst. He is in your midst. And then he describes who he is in your midst, a victorious warrior. And the ESV version says that uh, uh, God mighty to save in your midst. We need to remind ourselves of these things, these truths. He will exult over you with joy. He will quiet. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. There's nothing like that when God does that. Corey Ten Boon said this. She said, look at the world, you'll be distressed. Look within, you'll be depressed. Look at Christ, you'll be at rest. We can rest when we know the victorious one is in our midst and he's on our side. I mean, I, I, I just know the Lord's on this this morning, man. We were in prayer this morning before the service. It was warfare. It was warfare because God is going forth as a victorious war, warrior on our behalf. Amen? And then the word God is not, is, is L and it's divinity in an absolute sense. Divinity in an absolute sense. In, in case you weren't sure, Christ was God himself. Isaiah makes it very clear. And he says, only used in Scripture to describe Almighty God. It denotes a mighty power that can be found only in deity. Are you getting it? When we understand that the word for God means mighty power, then we can see that the title really means mighty, mighty deity. In other words, Jesus is set apart from all powers, deities, and spiritual beings. His power is seen as superior to anyone else. If you walk away with nothing this morning, I want you to get this, how great his power is against every form of darkness or evil or every other force in the world. He's greater. He's greater. And then the psalmist, David, knew this in Psalms 45, 3 through 5. I hope you're okay. I got a lot of scriptures this morning. Because if you're going to describe how mighty our God is, and I'm by no means covering this comprehensively, amen, But in Psalm 45, 3 through 5, he says, Gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one. In your splendor and your majesty, and in your majesty ride on victoriously. 
for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome things. Your arrows are sharp. The peoples fall under you. Your arrows are in the heart of the king's enemies. You see, when God flexes, it's for a purpose, for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness, for his name and his glory to be known in the earth. But he is mighty in battle. Our God is mighty in battle. This same El Gabor is found in, uh, this title El Gabor is found in Psalm 24, 7 through 10. When, when David says, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors. And they believed that the, the worshipers would sing this as they were carrying the ark into the temple, and they were carrying it up. And they, as they were ascending, the first part of Psalm 24 was, who will ascend the hill of the Lord? And as they were ascending, they were singing that first part of Psalm 24. But as they reached the gate, as they reached the entrance, they said, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. And in case you don't know who he is, come on, in case you don't know who he is, he is the king of glory, the Lord strong and mighty. There it is. El Gabor, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Some of us need to begin to declare that over our house. Some of us need to begin to declare that over our workplace, over our families, over our communities, over this city. Come on, lift up your heads, O gates, and let's let the King of glory come in, who's mighty in battle. He's greater than every principality and power. You see, Israel had seen the might of their God when they stood at the shores of the Red Sea. He says, stand and see the salvation of your God, for he will come and fight for you. As they went into Israel, how many know, before Joshua could go fight, he had to see the Lord of hosts himself with the sword. saying, I go before you, I fight for you. You see, he had the courage and the strength to go in and fight because he had seen the the El Gabor. He knew El Gabor was with him, mighty God. Come on. We can't face our enemies without him, but he goes before us. He fights for us. Somebody needs to hear this this morning. He's fighting for you in your circumstance, in your situation versus sickness or whatever it may be this morning. He's fighting for you. We see how Isaiah describes the Messiah would come as mighty God. But three things I want you to see this morning that... He's <clears throat> proving his might, well, number one, proving his might. How many know, many people will come and they'll say, I can do all this stuff. And, I, and, and, and remember as a kid, like I got all these skills. Some of your friends would come up and you're playing sports. I got all these skills. Oh yeah, I, got, I, can, I can play hoops. I can do all that. I'm like, well, let's see it. Let's let your game do the talking, right? I tell my, I tell my son that. When these other kids on the other team are taunting you or they're talking, talking down, let your game do the talking, Let your game do the talking. And so if there was any question if Christ was God, come in the flesh. Isaiah says this, 53.1, he says, Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Let me tell you, it starts with faith in believing that he is who he says he is. 
And in John chapter 12, that same passage is referenced because the Bible says that Jesus did many miracles amongst them, yet many of them still did not believe. Still did not believe. They'd seen his might, they'd seen his power, and they did not yet believe. And so the prophet sees this seven, eight hundred years in advance and is lamenting over it. And yet today there's people who see his miracles, his signs and wonders, and don't believe. I mean, I was somebody who was away from the Lord, and and I went on a mission trip to Romania. I saw mighty miracles. I mean, I saw blind eyes open. I saw people jumping out of wheelchairs, but because of the condition of my heart, I I was hard. See, as the church, we need to believe that he is who he is. God's might at work in his conception in Luke chapter 1, 35. The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit, to Mary, will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For, this, for that reason, the holy child, child shall be called the Son of God. What that power would overshadow. And you see, this is describing what God does in our lives. When he comes and we are saved and we are born again, the power of the Holy Spirit overshadows us. Christ himself is born in us. Come on, somebody. And, his, and, and, and we are called a child of God. But it was the proof of his power. And Mary would later say in the Magnificat, as she's praising God, she says, For the mighty one, verse 49, has done great things for me, and holy is his name. That's how you respond to the power of God. That's how you respond to the manifestation of Almighty God. He's done great things for me. There was the power and might in his conception. There was the power and might in his ministry. And in Matthew 13, 54, this talks about when he came to his hometown of Nazareth and, they be- and began to teach in their synagogue. And they were astonished. And they said, where did this man... I want you to see something. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? What was the problem with that statement? This man. This man. Because it says of his visit to his hometown, he could not do many miracles of their, there because of their unbelief. Because they only related to him. This goes back to our thoughts concerning God. They only related to him. I'm, you're the carpenter. You're the, you're the guy who grew up here. You're Mary and Joseph's son. That's who you are. They only related to him in the flesh, not as mighty God. And as we, re, we limit God and how we, believe, how, we, how we relate to him. It's not God who's limited, but we limit him. And you see, their own unbelief limited the degree to which miracles and signs and wonders were released in their town. I thought, I, I know, that's heavy. That's heavy. But see, I can say I know mighty God, or I can show it that I know mighty God. See, the world's looking for somebody who will show a mighty God. Peter on the day of Pentecost, he claimed, he spoke and declared, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. Attested to 
by God. Then he later speaks to Cornelius and the Gentiles in Caesarea, and he says to them, he says, You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good in healing all, somebody say all, all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. All who were oppressed by the devil. I remember our great founding pastor, Pastor Pat. We had this special evangelist here. You might have heard this story, but it's worth repeating. We had this special evangelist here, and he had, he had called a night of prayer for healing. And we had hundreds of people show up to get healing and prayer. And he didn't really, we didn't end up praying for healing. And so this lady came to Pastor Pat, and she had a, a, a daughter, son, with a club foot. And she said, I brought my son here tonight to get prayer for healing. And, and uh, that didn't happen. And she said, you know what? You bring him back in the morning. We'll have a special session, okay? That wasn't on the calendar. She decided we're going to do that. So came back the next morning, and some people came there. And I remember, I'll never forget how she did this. So unconventional, because that's how God is sometimes. Come on. He wants to blow our box out of the water. And, uh, and she, was, she was there, and this, she comes up with her child in this club foot, and Pastor Pat just goes, hey, anyone in here never seen a miracle? You have a hard time believing in miracles. And there was like slow hands, right? Nobody wants to do that, be that guy. But there was hands that came up. They go, all right, you come up here. I want you to stand around me. I'm like, ah, I've never seen that before. But she said, I'm going to prove he's mighty God. And she took that boy's foot in her hand, and as she began to pray, we all heard a crack. And that foot just went straight. And this, mo this mom, who had barely known Jesus, fell on her face and gave her life, surrendered her life to Jesus in that moment. The power of God manifested, mighty God manifested. Come on, he's still doing it today. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's still a God who can do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond what we can ever ask or think or imagine. I mean, we've seen some miracles. We've seen some miracles, but we haven't seen anything yes, that yet. This best is still yet to come. And I, I, I'm just here to encourage you this morning that he's a mighty God, and we need to begin to believe him for, for his full power. Come on. His full power working in us, through us. His might and power and his conception, his might and his power and his ministry, his might and his power over nature. You, we think of the time in Matthew chapter 8 when they were crossing the sea with the disciples in the boat. And they're freaking out because the winds and the waves are, 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 are coming up against them. Come on, we've had those moments. Circumstances are overwhelming. Jesus is sleeping in the back. He's just chill. I mean, it's like, he's, I'm in the boat. Would you chill? Right? I'm trying to have a nap, and you guys are all freaking out. And he says, why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Why are you afraid? Then he got up, and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. The men were amazed and said, what kind of of man is this well he's no normal man he's the god man come on 
that even the winds and the seas obey him. It's only almighty God. It's only mighty God, El Gabor, who can do that. His might and his power over death. Romans 1, 4 says he was declared. Come on. He was declared the son of God with power. He didn't just say it. It was declared through operative power on display. Jesus didn't just talk a big game. Come on. With power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Come on. He was raised from the dead. He went down into that, to that bosom of Abraham, and he began to preach to those who were captive, and he led captivity captive. He declared he took the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Come on. He got the full victory. Do you know what? He demonstrated his power. And Ephesians 1, 19 through 21 says, and it says, what is the surpassing greatness? I mean, get hold of this. It's surpassing greatness. There's greatness, and then there's surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. I've described this before, but you understand that there's always power flowing to a light switch, but there's got to be somebody who comes and turns it on for that power to be released and manifested. So his power is constantly flowing towards us. What he's looking for is faith that will go, come on. Faith, turn it on, Lord. Be mighty God in our midst. Come and do what only you can do. Come and do the difficult. Come and do the impossible. Come and do it in and through my life. Come and do it in my family, in my community. I'm preaching to me this morning, too. Because sometimes we just happy with the light switch being off, but we got to turn our faith on. We got to stir ourselves up. And these scripture, the word of God comes to say, He is mighty, He's victorious warrior, He's champion. It says, It's the, these are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might, which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in heavenly places. Far, somebody say far, far, above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. Then there is his might and his power over the devil and over rulers and authorities. You see in Hebrews 2.14, it says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. I don't want to keep you ever, forever, but I feel like this is, there's something to unpack this right here. <laughs> I mean, what we celebrate during Christmas is that the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. All through the ages, throughout the years, the, the, the centuries before Christ came, the prophetic words went forth, 300-plus prophecies describing who he would be. And as each word was declared, the, the clarity of who he would be began to unfold even more and more. And it says he had to take on flesh. Why? Because God created Adam in his image, and Adam was given dominion over the earth, and Adam was there to rule over the earth. And yet when he gave that dominion over, when he sinned and he gave it over to the enemy, it took God becoming flesh to come get it back. Come on, somebody. He had to become like us. 
so he could win back what was lost. That through death he might render, render powerless. I don't know. Somebody who's been tormented by the devil this morning needs to know that Jesus has rendered him powerless. That he's taken, he who had the power of death, that is the devil, but he doesn't have that power anymore because Jesus took it back. His might and his power over the devil and those rulers and authorities. Colossians 2.15 says, when he had disarmed, whoo, he disarmed the rulers and authorities. He made a public display of them, having triumphed over, the, triumphed over them through him. Public display. Humiliation of the enemy and his cohorts. Come on. And we need to declare and decree this victory. Do you hear me? We don't take this passively, but we begin to war with these truths. We begin to declare these truths. We begin to decree these truths over circumstances, over whatever situations that we're facing, over our lives. When the devil comes at you, you come at him with the sword of truth, the word of the Lord. Say, uh, Jesus has already won and taken the death from you. So I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be in anxiety. I know that my God is with me. I know that he's a victorious warrior and he's in my midst. Are you getting something this morning? Number two, trusting in his might. You see, the greatest demonstration of the might and power of God is in the saving of a soul. Oh, we love to see physical miracles, but all those are just to the dinner bell so that those will come who will be saved and their souls transformed by the power of God because what he does on the inside out is even greater than what he does on the outside. He takes us who were lost in our transgressions and in our sins and in our darkness and under the powers of this earth and of this world. And he, he transforms us and he takes us out of the kingdom of darkness into his marvelous light, into the kingdom of his beloved son. And we are transformed and something happens in us. Our will is changed. We have a one-two now to, be, to do what he wants us to. The greatest miracle is the salvation of a soul. The greatest demonstration of his power is when a soul is brought out of the grasp of hell into his eternal grasp. We are transformed. We are made a new creature in Christ Jesus. But here's the reality. We are powerless to overcome sin and death on our own. We must put our faith in his power and might. Now here, I want you to hear this. He is able to save to the uttermost forever. But Paul, in his ministry, he says this in 1 Corinthians 2, 3 through 5. He goes, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. I want you to pause there for a minute. Paul would not have fit the criteria for a hero in the flesh. Many describe him as like hunchback with a screechy voice. Come on. I don't think he'd be welcome in many pulpits in America today. He goes, but my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of what? Power. So that your faith, here's why. 
Because we like it when people come with, give me 12 steps, give me, give me some answers, and yet people get those all days long, and yet they're still bound. They get man's wisdoms, man's methods, man's counsel, and yet they're still bound in their addictions and their pains and their, and their issues. That your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. We don't rest our faith on a person, on, but on the person of Jesus Christ and his power. His power. It's not my points that make a difference. It's the power of God that makes a difference. My desire is you walk away this morning impressed with him. Not with me, not with us, not with this church, but you are impressed with him and his power. We like formulas. We like to get answers on how to, if I can just do this, this, and this, and I can, I can get out of this mess. But you know what? You ain't getting out of that mess without his power. Number three, living by his might. Living by his might. You see, finally, it's his power, his might that empowers us to live out this life. It's not that we're just reliant on his power for salvation, but we're, uh, salvation is ongoing. You're saved, you're being saved, and you're going to be saved. Come on. He's doing a work in us, and his power is working in us to will and to do according to his pleasure. But here, listen. In Ephesians 6.10, and this was our theme of the youth camp last summer. Come on, young people. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. I'm still learning what that means because you know what? We've grown up being taught how to be strong and get through stuff. Just, just figure it out. Get through it. But it says the power of his might is where my strength comes from. Paul had learned the secret. He says, it's in my weakness that his power is perfected. What? That's God's way. I can't overcome. I've learned this. I can't overcome these daily spiritual battles of life without his power and his might. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, here's the reality. The degree... And this is why I want to declare mighty God this morning. The degree to which we know mighty God as mighty God is the degree to which we live a mighty and powerful life. Did you catch that? And it's evidenced by the degree of his power operating in my life. There should be something so different and distinct about the people of God. Come on. Yes, we have struggles, but we don't go through them and we don't, we don't face them the same way the world does. Because we have the power and might of God operating in our lives. God doesn't want us above. He says you are above, not beneath. You are, you are the head. You are not the tail. Come on. We're not to live as defeated, but we're to live in victory. Sometimes, If we've underestimated God, then we will live an underestimated life. 
who he is. I'm challenging us, church, to begin to reach for mighty God. In this season, as we celebrate and as we meditate upon his name, that he is mighty God, because Paul said to the Philippians this, he says, I can do all things. I needed this this morning. Come on. I needed this. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Hallelujah. Philippians 4.13. It's not a nice bumper sticker. It's not just a nice quote. It's just not something I post on Facebook. Come on. It's, what, it's, my, it's my answer for life. It's how I'm going to live. Can you stand to your feet as the worship team comes this morning?